Well, can we stand for a word of prayer? I want to give honor to, uh, again, Pastor Hall and Brenda and the greatest preacher on the face of the earth is T.J. Hall. Uh, you know, when I saw him this morning, I said, doesn't he look like Tom Cruise? Just, just look at him, guys. Look, he looks just like him, right? <laughs> and, and my wife said he looks better. So that's, that's, that's a good thing, right? But I tell you, it's, uh, Pastor Hall was not exaggerating. We literally talk every, almost literally every day on the phone. He is like a, a, a father in the faith to me. And uh, his wife is like a, a dear, precious mom, and I love him so very much. Well, let's get into the Word because i got just a few moments here, so let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the anointing. Father, I pray that you would allow me to minister under that anointing, and I pray that the people that are here today would just hear what you are saying in these last days and would take it to heart and share it with others. And, Lord, help us to be that light that you've called us to be and that salt so that we can preserve this world and preserve people for your coming. We give you praise for it right now in the name of Jesus. And everyone in agreement say amen. amen. All right, you may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. And I don't know if they have the uh, little tabernacle picture on the screen for me. Uh, Pastor Hall gave me a little laser light here. Let me see if, it, uh, see if this works here. Let's see. No, I can't get the, I can't get the red. I got you right there, buddy. You want to show? I don't know if we have to turn the lights down or something. There we go. Can y'all see that? Can everybody see that? All right, good. There we go. That's right. He taught me this morning. I got to hold it still. All right. <clears throat> this this message started with me a couple of years ago. Uh, look at, if you, if you can, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. And we'll start here. Will you have that in your Bible? Just say amen. Now, this is what Jesus said. He says, enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. Few there be that find it. Now, you know, when Jesus talks about few, he's talking about few. We, we really have to take that into consideration when the Lord... The master of the universe says, few there be that find it. Verse 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly are raving wolves. Ye shall know them by their gifts. Did it say that? It said, you shall know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns and, and, uh, or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Every good tree brings forth good fruit. I want you to keep that in mind. But a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. I want, I'm stopping because I want you to really just take that in. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is cast down and thrown into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Now, the key verse that really started this message in my heart just a few years ago, and I, I pondered on it for a while, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, that's covenant, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, 
But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day. Now that day is speaking of the coming of the Lord. When we stand before the Lord, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we not cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. Now, how many of you will submit to me that he is not talking about unbelievers? Number one, unbelievers cannot cast out a devil. Number two, unbelievers are not doing mighty works. And number three, unbelievers are not calling the Lord the Lord of their life. And verse 23, and when they shall profess, the, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, you that work iniquity. Now that, that scripture, those three scriptures really begin to just do something to me. And I remember a couple of years ago, I had a, a very good friend who's in heaven now. His name is Richard Sigmund. Richard Sigmund worked with evangelist A.A. Allen, R.W. Shambach. God had, uh, had just given him such a great mantle of healing on his life. He was known pretty much all over the world. And then he had, a, he had some problems in his body. He, God had told him to go and warn Oral Roberts uh, of some things that he was doing before he built the hospital. And he felt really... Um, uh, he didn't want to do that because Oral Roberts was this big guy up there in, in those days, and he felt kind of low down here. I can't do that. So he, he proceeded. Uh, he, he, he was going to Oklahoma, uh, disobeyed God, turned around, and was heading back to where he lives in uh, Oklahoma as well. And he had a car accident. The car flipped over. Uh, he died in that accident. He was taken to the hospital. They were putting the sheets over him. And when they were putting the sheets over him, he was in heaven. And the Lord showed him many, many things I can't get into because of time. But the Lord told him to go back and to speak to Oral Roberts. And he did that and some things happened. But I said that to say this. This man was really, really used by God. And we used to talk on the phone probably every other day before he went home to be with Jesus. And I had just read his book, A Place Called Heaven. And I called him. I was all excited and I said, because the things that he saw in heaven just blew my mind. And uh, if, you, if you can get that book, it'll be just very invitatious to you. But it was a fantastic word. And I said, Richard, we're all going to heaven, man. This thing is going to be awesome. And he said, it's not as easy as you think. And then he, and then he asked me, he said, Daryl, and he began to weep. And that was really strange for me because I'm looking up at this man. He's a man of God. He's worked with great men of God. He's been around the things of God. He's literally seen Jesus come through his, uh, his, the wall of his house. He's seen angels. He's been to heaven several times and just saw, he saw hell. And this man of God that I respected looked up to me or looked at me, well, talked to me on the phone and said, can you pray that I make it in? I said, Richard, me pray for you to make it in? I'm looking at your book and all the things you, he said, son, it's not as easy as you think. And then I remember before Oral Roberts died, he was on a, he was on a broadcast. He was talking to um, an evangelist right before Oral Roberts died. He said, the Lord spoke to me and said that if I don't get my attitude in check, which is a spiritual problem for me, I won't make it in. Now, if you think about Oral Roberts, you think about the things that he's done and the mighty anointing of God that was on his life, healing the sick. Uh, casting out devils and 
preaching the gospel all over the world. Yet at the end of his life, Jesus said, Oral, if you don't get your attitude in check, you won't make it in. Now, that, that's something strange to us because, you know, we have this impression that once we receive Christ, once we come through the things of salvation, that everything is fine. I want to tell you that it's not. And if you look at this diagram here, see, I want to tell you that everything that is, 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 is written in the Old Testament, see, the Old Testament is really the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And everything that the New Testament has is a shadow of the Old Testament is a shadow of the New. When God, if you turn to Exodus chapter 25, when God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle. When you got that, let me know by saying amen. Exodus chapter 25. Now, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, he spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart shall take ye of my offering. And then the Lord begins to go down and he lists several different things. Now, everything that God told Moses to collect from the children of Israel to use for the construction of the tabernacle was a picture of Christ. Now, I don't have time to go into every detail of it, but I want you to look at chapter at verse eight. And it says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And then look at verse 22 of the same chapter. It says, and there I will meet with thee. I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat between the cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony. All of the things which I gave thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Now, God was telling the children, God was telling Moses, I want you, I want to dwell with with you because you're my people. I brought you out of slavery. I brought you out of bondage. I want to take you into the promised land. But I want you to create a habitation for my presence. And so as it was with Moses in the Old Testament, that's how it is with us today. God has to have a, a, a habitation for his presence to dwell in because, number one, his presence is holy. And God is holy. And God demands that we be holy. So if you look at the diagram here, I want you to understand that you can't see all of the, uh, all of the things there. You can't really see a lot of the verbiage there. But I want you to go home and, and ask the Lord to give you more understanding and revelation of the tabernacle. Go to YouTube, look it up, begin to study this in your Bible because this is going to be one of the key messages that I believe the Lord is releasing to the church because Jesus is really about to return. All of the signs that we're seeing now is pointing to one thing and that is his coming. All right? So you notice on the, around the, the tabernacle, the tabernacle is conveyed of three different compartments. You have the outer court, you have the inner court, and then you have the holy place. Remember in, in, verse 20, in verse 22, God told Moses, the place that I'm going to meet you at is the holy place. God said, I will not meet with you on the outer court because the outer court is where the flesh is. God is not flesh. God is spirit. And the first thing that happens to us when we begin, when, when we get born again, we come through the gate. Now, Jesus said something very interesting. He said, I am the way, 
I am the truth and I am the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. I want to make sure I'm doing this right. There we go. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Now, you see right here the gate? Now, around this, around this whole sanctuary is 66 poles. There's 66 books in our Bible. Now, when Jesus said, I'm the way, he says, I'm the door into the presence of God right here. And then he also says, I'm the truth, which is the labor, which is you, this is what you wash. And then he says, I'm the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. Now, I want you to understand that when I first started studying this, the Lord spoke to me and said, son, I want you to get out of the outer court and get into my presence. And then the Lord gave me a, just an inner vision of, what the, of where the church is today. And a lot of us have questions. Why are Christians, pastors, uh, sleeping around? Why are, are Christians into uh, worldly music, carnality? Why are we carnal, but yet we have a lot of word? And the scripture that comes to mind is in 2 Timothy, ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the Bible says, from such turn away. So today what we have in the church is we have people who have come into the things of God and they're just hanging out here in the outer court. Now the first thing that we're supposed to do when we become Christians is we're supposed to, the, the Bible says in Romans 12.1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present what? Your body. As a living what? Sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And, by, and then, then it says you're supposed to renew your mind so that you can determine what is God's will for your life. The first thing that we're supposed to do when we come into the gate of salvation, what did Jesus say? If you want to be my disciple, you have to what? Lay down your life at the altar. See, when the priests, when the priests came into this sanctuary, the first thing that they would bring with them was a sacrifice. And that sacrifice had to be without blemish. It had to be a perfect lamb or a goat, three years old, all symbolic of Christ. And when that priest laid that offering and he killed that animal right here on the altar, he began to wash himself in the laver now, the labor right here was made out of brass and mirrors because why the word of God is a mirror. When you begin to look at the word, you begin to see who you are supposed to be through the things of God. And what we have today is we have people coming in because, listen, it's easy to get saved now. I mean, the, the, the way the gospel is preached now, you don't really have to give up anything. All you have to do is just come in. God accept you. He'll love you. Everything is, is fine. You can still do what you want to do. You can still play the same. And see, all of these Christians that are, that are coming in, and listen, saints, millions of people are in the outer court. Millions. Jesus, they don't even know who Jesus is. Why? And they cannot understand the word, even though they're hearing word. They can't understand the word because they have not surrendered their life. They've accepted Christ through the gate. Now, you know, when you come through the gate, there are things that Christ has for you at the gate, and they're called the gifts of the Spirit. All right? Now, the Bible says that the gifts and the callings of God are what? All right. Okay. Now, when you come into that gate, the first thing that's going to meet you is the gifts of the Spirit. Okay? This is how you can preach, you can prophesy, with a gift,
But if you don't lay down your life at that altar, there'll be no anointing. And you got people that's prophesying in the outer court, singing in the outer court, preaching in the outer court, prophesying in the outer court, but they don't know Jesus. And this is why Jesus said, narrow is the gate that leads to life. See that, that the gate that leads to salvation is very wide. But when you go through the pillows there, when you go into the holy place, the holy place is so very small, only one person can get in at a time. And Jesus said, narrow, now the holy place is where there's life. But Jesus said, narrow is the way that, that leads to life. Few there be that find it. Because Jesus knew that it's not just saying that I'm a Christian. Remember, we read in Matthew 7 that many would say, Lord, out of court, working by the gifts, have not I prophesied? Have not I preached? Have not I done many wonderful works? And Jesus said, I don't even know who you are. Why? Because you're not known on the outer court by the Holy Ghost. Intimately. I'm not talking about your name written now. Pastor Hall asked me a question. Do, do we have to do more to make the rapture than we do to get saved? And I said, absolutely, yes. Because if a person comes through the gate of salvation and drops dead, he's going to heaven. He's going right to heaven. But to live the Christian life, You've got to give up your life. See, we sing, I surrender all, but are we really willing to surrender all? And the church, you find the church today hanging out on the outer court, and the Lord showed me this. People are coming in to the things of salvation, and you notice the white, the, 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 the gates here on the outs. I mean, not the gates, but the poles. That white linen is symbolic of the word. You can go through the gate and hook a right and start reading the scriptures and you can begin to learn the word of God. But see, outside of God's presence, the word is just a letter. You've got to really spend time. See, once you give your life at that altar, that's a bloody thing. When they offered that, when they offered that animal, they had to rip its neck off and they had to kill it and they had to offer the blood on the altar. And then that priest had to change his clothes and wash at the labor. But he, it, 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 listen, it takes time. You can't just, most Christians, they just wash on Sunday. If you wash one day a week and then go to work, there's going to be some problems. <laughs> now imagine how God sees us in the spirit. A lot of us in the spirit, we stink. And we got all nice clothes today, but in the spirit realm, we stink. Because why? We're only washing on Sunday. And most of us really don't even lay down our life to come to church. I mean, it's, a, it's like a normal thing now. It's normal to pay your tithes. It's normal to come to church. Why? Because it's just a normal thing that Christians do. But to lay down your life, to give God all, is saying, God, I surrender everything, not holding anything back. Now, you can't see all of the, the pictures there. That's why I'm really encouraging you to really study this when you go home, but when a person comes through that outer, when a person goes through that gate, and this is something that happens really on a daily basis when you surrender to God or every day. When you come through that gate, saints of God, and you surrender your life to God on a daily basis, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to lay down your cross. It's not just a one-time event. He said daily, right? So as you lay down your life and you repent of your sin and give God your body, 
then that's when you're supposed to feed upon the word of God. And the word of God should, feed, uh, it should fill us daily. This is how we grow. We don't grow just by coming to church, hearing word on Sunday. We grow personal. It's, it's a personal, I'll call it a working relationship with the word. The Bible says that his word, the interest of his word, brings light, gives light. So word in, junk out. I remember when I used to have a lot of struggles in my mind, and the reason why is because I was not staying in the word long enough. And all I had was just a letter. And if you, if you have just a letter, how do you know if you're dealing only with the letter? The flesh is still alive. You cannot pray. You cannot fast. You have nasty attitudes. You, you're, you're cursing. You're watching stuff on television that you're not supposed to be watching. And you know that it's wrong. You can feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and see where you are is you're out here in this outer court right here. But you're not willing to lay that stuff down. And if you're not willing to lay that stuff down at the altar, there is no progression into God's presence. See, salvation is just the basics. There are benefits with salvation, but there's the, that's the basics. Listen, when you go through the altar, when you lay down your life and you begin to spend time in God's word, before you even get into the holy place, there are five pillows here. And that, those represents the fivefold ministry gifts. They are for the perfecting of the church. Now, as you begin to feed upon the word and you, and you get resources and word from different ministers, different ministries in the body of Christ, then God brings you into that holy place. And then at the holy place, guess what? There is the, this is seven golden candlestick here. That's where you get illuminated by the word. That's when you get revelation. You ever heard the scripture, taste and see that the Lord is good? Well, that's right here at the table of showbread. That's all in here, saints of God. Where is it at? Somewhere. There it is right here. See, the table of showbread is right here past this level right here into the holy place. But listen, God said, I'm going to meet you in the holy place. So God is not out here. God is not even in here. God is in here. And to get to the place where God is, is right in Psalms 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place. Now, he didn't say he that visits or he that comes occasionally. It said, he that dwells in the, come on, of the, shall what? I used to do this all the time. I used to go to Psalms 91 and quote all those scriptures. And the Lord had said, well, you're not even in the holy place. Mm. See, you can say, you know, I used to get up in the morning. You know, with his stripes, I'm healed and no weapon formed against me can prosper. You know, you have your list of confessions and you're doing all these things in the, in the outer court. And the Lord is not even responding to that because he doesn't. God doesn't know you out here. Oh, he knows. Yeah, you're saved. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But if you don't surrender and if you don't give up your life at this altar, Jesus is going to one day say, I don't know you. Why? Because. No flesh shall glory in my presence, right? That's what God said. So if we want to get into the things of God and really see the things of God, this is what you need. There, is one, there, are, there are thousands of books in the world 
And God only requires that we read, that we read just one. The reason why we don't study and read the word of God, number one, we're lazy. It, it, that's really the bottom line. See, I had, a, I had a friend of mine that went to Israel. And when he went there, he, was, he said he was shocked at what he saw. When he went into Jerusalem, he saw Hasidic Jews. They were praying and they were at the Wailing Wall and they were praying like this for hours. He said, Daryl, I was embarrassed. I have never seen such dedication to God in all of America. And he travels all over America, really all over the world. But he said, when I went to Israel and when I saw those Jews who don't even have a revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, when I saw them praying with the Torah, just praying, he said, I was literally shocked. And he said, when I came back to the United States, I ate the word up. He said, I just, I just, the Holy Spirit gave me such a, such an encounter with his presence that I wanted to know who the author was, though he had been saved for over 20 years. He didn't even know who Jesus was. And that's where we find ourselves in the church today. People coming to the altar, coming to get saved, but they really don't know who Jesus is. Why? See, if I, if somebody asked me, do you know Pastor Hall? I say, yeah, I know him. But Brenda knows Pastor Hall a lot more than I do. Why? Because that's his wife. Why? They have a relationship, an intimate relationship. I don't have an intimate relationship with Pastor Hall like that, but his wife does. The same way it is with Jesus. Do you really know him or are you just acquainted with him? I used to say a while ago, you know, when you were, before we, you know, were dating, I mean, when we were dating, before we got married, People would say, you know, what's going on with you two? Are you guys really serious or are you just talking? Well, before marriage, we're just talking. And I think that a lot of people in the church, they're just talking to Christ. They're not really married to him yet. Even though they're in the gate, even though they're experiencing the benefits of salvation, even though they know how to preach because when you go through the gate, there are gifts there waiting for you and they move as the spirit wills. See, the, the gifts of God are not for you. The gifts are for people. And if I'm a minister and I'm called to preach the gospel, the gifts will work through me. But that doesn't mean that I know God. The only way that I know God is by my love and by the fruit. Jesus said you will know them by the fruit, not by the gifts. And today we're so oriented on the gifts. Churches are packed with people that are celebrating the gift and we give our money, we, 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 we do all that we can to the gift because they're feeding us and satisfying a lack that we have in our life. But we're not feeling ourselves up with God's word ourselves. You got a lot of preachers that have paid the price and they're preaching from a perspective of holiness because they've lived it. But then you got people in the congregation that are too lazy, that don't want to read the word, that don't have a vision of the heart of God. And because of that, they lack spiritual reality and they lack holiness. And see, the Bible says without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. I submit to you today that when Jesus comes, the Lord told me this. So many of the people that are in church will miss the rapture. Because they're playing games, they're doing things behind closed doors They've been exposed by the Holy Spirit many times, but they will not give it up. Why? Because 
they are not willing to lay it down. I remember Mary Baxter told me, and I think she's been here. She wrote a book called The Divine Revelation of Hell. She's a dear friend of mine. We talk all the time. She's, wrote, she's writing another book that's almost done. And she said, the Lord showed me things in this book that he didn't show me in the last book. And then she began to cry on the phone. She said, Daryl, whatever you do, keep preaching the gospel. Keep living holy. She said, I saw so many Christians in hell. She said, I saw preachers in hell still trying to preach the gospel in hell. And demons were tormenting. Why? Because the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. That gift stays with you forever. And still trying to preach, crying out to God to get out. I want to get out. She said, Daryl, they're, they're stealing from the flock. They're sleeping with the secretaries. They're, they're, they're sleeping with other men, women with women in the church. And they come to church, and I'm talking mass, huge churches. Lifting up, they say, lifting up holy hands. And they got blood dripping from their fingertips because they have not warned anybody since salvation about the coming of Jesus. They have not done their responsibility as a Christian in lifting up Jesus and telling people about who he is by living that type of life that people can see Christ in you. That's what God is. See, out of court people can have the bumper stickers, can have the T-shirts, can knock on the doors and tell people to come to church. But if they don't have a relationship with God in that holy place, there's no presence. There's the anointing. Listen, the anointing of God can be on your life. But the presence of God won't be there if there's sin there. Because God's anointing, God's anointing is for a reason and a season. It comes to empower you to do something for God. But God's presence is what keeps you secure in the things of God. Now, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But there's the fruit of faith and there's the gift of faith. The gift of faith, you can move mountains. But the fruit of faith causes you to walk in love and you got to have both. Amen? So, Hmm. That altar where the laver is right there, I want you just to imagine that priest after he offers that offering. And I just want you to imagine him washing himself. He's washing his face. He's washing his, his clothes. I mean, he's washing his body. And as he washes, before he goes into the holy place, he has to make sure that all of his garments are perfectly intact. Because when you come before God, you just can't come anyway. And today we think that we can just, we sin and just live outside of God's presence and think that just because the church is there, we can just run in and go right into God's presence. You can't do it that way. You have to come in with blood. You have to come in with prayer. And this means that we have to live the type of life that we live, that we, that we proclaim on Sunday, we have to live it Monday through Saturday. We have to be holy. When you, when you get into the presence of God, I don't have much time, when you get into God's presence, 
after you go through the gate and you lay down your life and you begin to feed upon God's word and you're listening, you're, as you're reading God's word, God is speaking to you and you're talking to God and you're growing and you're developing in a relationship with God. Then God brings you into that holy place. And when you get to that place, that's where your words literally become inadequate. That's when you don't even speak. Then it's spirit to spirit. And that's when you're being illuminated by the things of God. That's when God is opening up to you the books in the realm of the spirit and allow you to see things in the future. That's when you can really walk out this walk and really be a threat to the kingdom of heaven, to the kingdom of hell. See, right now we got a lot of people hanging out here in the outer court. Absolutely no threat at all. I'm paying my tithes, Lord. I'm helping the pastor on Sunday. I'm even preaching and doing all these things. But Jesus will one day say, if you don't, if you don't lay down your life, and get that crap out of your heart. Allow God's word to literally drive it out. Jesus will look at you one day and say, I don't even know who you are. But Lord, I went to church. But Lord, I did this. Doesn't matter. You can have all the works. And we're and we're in. Listen, the Holy Spirit is bringing us into a fresh reality of who Jesus is. You can have all the works. You can do all the things that normal church people do. But if you don't have God's presence, there's going to be no power. There's going to be no light. There's going to be no heavenly vision of what you're supposed to do. You know how many people don't even have any clue of what they're supposed to be doing in the things of God, in the church, because they don't even know who Jesus is. Knowing Jesus is not coming to church. We've replaced knowing Jesus with just coming to church. Knowing Jesus is knowing his word. And knowing his word is knowing the father. Jesus said the father is seeking something. What is he seeking? He's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Not in the flesh. See, in the outer court, you can worship. You can dance. You can praise. But you can't really worship in spirit and truth. The only people who can worship in you can't. How can you worship someone you don't even know? See, you can only worship God just because you got lifted up hands. That doesn't mean anything to God. What matters to God is the heart. He's not looking at all the outer stuff. That's in the outer court. He's in the holy place. Because why? He's holy. Amen? Did you get something out of this? I got, a, I got two minutes. Can you stand to your feet? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the word. Father, I pray that your people here today would go home and reconnect with you in the spirit. I pray that you would give us all a fresh understanding of truth. I pray that, Lord, you would melt our hearts with your presence and cause us to be prepared for what's coming. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord that you would use us for your glory and that your kingdom would come through our lives so that we can touch others for the glory. Father, your church should be a moving church full of power, full of the glory of God. But Father, we know we cannot move forward into the holy place with sin in our lives. So Father, help us every day as we approach you as we come to you, that we lay down our lives, 
that we pick up the word and no longer be lazy, but we dive into it, that we seek your word and seek you out so that we can be found of you, so that we can really know you, so that when we leave our house, when people see us, they'll see you. They won't just see the letter that kills, but they'll see the living word of God, the life of God's word, so that they can see Jesus in us and live. I pray, Father, that everyone in this building would make your, will make the rapture, Lord. I pray that they will be ready for your coming. And I pray that their families also will be grafted in as they see Jesus on them. Lord, you be exalted in our lives. In Jesus' name. If you're in agreement, say amen. God bless you.